בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיר תורה, ברוכים הבאים, we're back, uh, continuing our series of the Igeret Agra, the letter by the Gaomi Vilna, that uh, has uh, shaped the, uh, the, the yeshiva world, the, the, the firm world, and uh, Be'ezrat Hashem will also help shape us into uh, better quality human beings. Um, the uh, shiur tonight will be for Refua uh, Shlema, for Sarah Bat Levana, Levana Bat Sarah, Rabbi Ephraim Ben Shulamit, Rabbanit Sarah Bat Anat, Avi Mori David Ben Esriya, Doris Bat Jora, Orit Bat Ilana, Sarah Bat Sausan, and also for Atzlacha Raba for Amir Ben Shahin, Marsha Bat Julie, Ayla Bat Marsha, Samuel ben Marsha, Sefas ben Marsha, Alexander ben Marsha, Louis ben Marsha, Shaul ben Farzane, Itro ben Avraham, David ben Nesriya, Oshri ben Doris, Gabi ben Doris, Elad ben Doris, and all of Am Yisrael Bezat Hashem, and all of the righteous Noahides that continue to serve Hashem day in, day out, as Hashem wills it, and uh, continue to get closer to Him as part of their servitude. So I, uh, just a couple of brief updates before we begin. For anyone that um, watched the movie uh, the, that came out, uh, that we filmed, uh, The World of Lies, uh, whether the Hebrew version, Olam HaShekel, or the English version, The World of Lies, uh, I've gotten, Baruch Hashem, an extraordinary feedback on it, no less than some of the other films that we've made. Some, some people actually even connected to it even more. Uh, than the other films um, and uh, interestingly enough I've also gotten some extraordinary uh, feedback uh, from Talmidei Chachamim that uh, told me that this message needs to be spread in, uh, in every, uh, to every rabbi, to every yeshiva, to every place uh, simply because uh, apparently the world is not uh, aware of the danger that it's in and uh, by the world I mean not just the uh, uh, the from world but also the world at large but uh, even more so our own backyard the uh, the religious world the from world uh, is not aware of the significance of the problem uh, that uh, that is uh, in our backyards unfortunately uh, so uh, that movie, Baruch Hashem, has been a uh, has gotten great feedback. But of course, we have to do everything we possibly can to share this movie, to get chizuk from this film, to uh, to get other people to watch it, uh, and uh, to be no less views on uh, on this uh, than some of the nonsensical videos that are uh, shared out there in the world uh, about all types of things that don't really matter to day to day life. Uh, yet they get you know tens of millions of views. So at the very least, uh, we should do our best efforts to get uh, these films that wake up neshamot that are looking for the truth, uh, get them to uh, be viewed with at least as many people. Uh, so that film is out. Uh, it's the, for the first time ever. Uh, this uh, this is a film that we made both in Hebrew and in English. You know, in the past, we've put subtitles to our films in uh, 10 different languages, Baruch Hashem. Uh, but in this case, we actually, uh, the, the film itself, you know, the, uh, the speaking itself uh, by myself is in both languages, Baruch Hashem. Uh, and Baruch Hashem, we're also going to put subtitles on the movie 
uh, in due time in different languages as well. Uh, I don't speak the other languages, so I can't really do another movie in the other languages, but we can put the subtitles. Uh, anyway, so that's, that's out, Baruch Hashem. Uh, second thing is, for all of you Hebrew speakers or people that are actually in uh, um, communities where there's a lot of people that are speaking Hebrew, good news is I got a uh, call today that the, uh, the books, my new book, uh, is uh, scheduled for delivery, Bezot Hashem, tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow, Bezot Hashem, we're supposed to get our copies. We're going to get uh, the first batch. It's going to be a thousand copies, and uh, we'll be uh, distributing them. Uh, we're going to have a uh, special site uh, to uh, to ha- you know to allow people to uh, that want to uh, either donate for the cause or to become distributors of the book. Uh, where the price is free, uh, simply because we want this book to get out there as fast as possible, so people can read it. Uh, in Israel, they've, uh, they flew off the shelves. We've run out of them already. Uh, we ran out of, uh, uh, we got rid of 5,000 copies already, 4,000 in Israel, 1,000 in America, and we already have demand for uh, at least as much uh, in Eretz Israel. Baruch Hashem, we're getting videos and letters uh, from different people that have uh, read the book. Uh, many have completed it already or gone through a big portion of it. And uh, I think it's the uh, it's, it's it was a very big chizuk, uh, uh, and you know by this I mean people that are from all walks of life, uh, big dayanim, talmidei chachamim, regular average people, uh, secular people, people that are observant of Shabbat and, and basic mitzvot, uh, people from all walks of life have read the book and have gotten a lot of chizuk out of it, and bezod Hashem that siyat bishmaya will continue. So uh, we're looking to do the same thing in, uh, here in the United States. I just don't really know how many of you uh, that are watching my shirim actually speak Hebrew enough to read the, uh, the book and to, to distribute them. But Bezot Hashem, we'll find out soon. We'll find out soon. Uh, with that being said, let's get started uh, because that, that film itself has a lot to do with what we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, and... Um, I'll start off with a sicha that I had with a uh, very, very big rav uh, in the last couple of days uh, that um, perhaps we both shocked each other, uh, but uh, we both had a different type of shock. Now, the uh, rav, which again, I'm not going to mention the name, it's not necessary, but uh, it's a well-known rav, it's a very big rav. And, um, you know, with all of the different things that we deal with, uh, whether it's the, uh, you know, exposing bad people or uh, that, you know, claim to be uh, rabbis or missionaries or it's uh, waking up people to do tshuva, helping people convert, you know, all the Boch Hashem, many different projects that we do on that end and the spiritual aspect of it and as well as the, uh, the other uh, projects that we have regularly, where, you know, to feed hungry people. To, uh, to help people that are sick, uh, you know, if they need money for medicine and things like that, which uh, we always have projects going on. And uh, as I told you, it's, the, the time has simply become a blur. Uh, there's no time to breathe. There's no time to uh, do anything. I have to steal a couple of hours here and there to sleep. And if I could, uh, you know, skip that, then I, then I, I do. Uh, it's simply just that busy. There's just that many calls, that many messages, and unfortunately, that many problems. And uh, with all of that being said, 
one of the main things that uh, has um, helped our Torah spread in you know all the corners of the world uh, is the fact that we you know are speaking about the issues that are relevant to every single household, whether it's religious or non-religious, uh, Jew or non-Jew, which is you know many times we talk about the issues of uh, immorality. Uh, whether that be wasting seed or per, you know promiscuity or uh, uh, adultery and and, and and so on um, and uh, apparently this is a topic that the Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai uh, wrote in the Zohar it's this is the topic that's going to bring the tikkun of the generation before Mashiach uh, it's not something that uh, uh, is a unknown topic is a endless discussions about it in practically every tractate in the Gemara. Uh, there's talks about immorality, wasting seed, adultery, all of the different types of crimes that end up costing people their lives both in this world and the next world, uh, or build them in this world and the next world if they're actually observant of this uh, very serious mitzvah. Uh, and as uh, Kadosh Baruch Hu himself says that promiscuity is forbidden both for men and for women, immorality is uh, forbidden for men and for women and even for non-Jews, uh, and uh, there is a uh, very, very heavy punishment for this. But uh, despite the fact that there is every tractate in the Gemara discusses this topic, uh, the Shulchan Aruch discusses this topic, the Rambam discusses this topic, uh, Practically every Gdolado uh, that has uh, published Sfarim has discussed this topic, some more, some less, whether it's from the world of Hasidut that covered it extensively, uh, or it's from the uh, Litvish world, or it's from the Sephardi world. Uh, anywhere you would go, you see this topic being uh, discussed. Uh, in fact, out of the, uh, you know, all of the things that the sages uh, you know, Chazal had to be proud about. The only thing they ever showed pride about was their observance of the their kedusha, their holiness, which is, uh, you know, running away from immorality. Uh, that's the only time you're ever going to see a sage uh, act uh, proud publicly that he is uh, holy, that he uh, always uh, protected his brit, as Rabbi Udan Asi. The, uh, the, uh, the one that uh, wrote, put our oral Torah into writing, uh, you know, publicly claimed that, uh, famously, that uh, he, uh, throughout all of his life, uh, despite having all the money in the world and all the success in the world and all the notoriety in the world, i.e. all of the opportunities to uh, uh, sin in the world, he never, he never in his life looked below his belt line. Never looked, forget about never touched, never looked below his belt line. So the issue of Kedusha is very much uh, a key part of the foundation of the Torah, hence the reason why the Zohar Kadosh calls it Yesod, which is foundation. But yet, if you compare the amount of coverage that it has in the Torah, which is always coupled with the teachings of Yirat Shamayim, which means uh, uh, fear of the Almighty, uh, you know, you, you see how extensively it's covered. Literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of pages written about this topic. And we have tried our best, Baruch Hashem, 
to cover as much of it as possible, as much as HaKadosh Baruch Hu will allow us to cover over the years. Uh, but despite the fact that you would find this in every Shulchan Aruch, in every Zohar Kadosh, in every Gemara, uh, practically in every tractate, uh, in the five books of Moses, in the Tanakh, in Tehilim, everywhere, you'll find this topic being covered. Uh, and you'll find that the Gdolei Ador, such as Rabbi Aaron Kotler, one of the key tzaddikim that built American Jewry, once uh, said publicly that uh, uh, a public rebuke uh, to the rabbis and the teachers of his day, uh, saying, Chas v'shalom, meaning heaven forbid that we uh, be embarrassed to discuss this topic and how to rectify it, how to fix it, how to deal with immorality. Heaven forbid we get embarrassed to discuss such a topic publicly, yet make the sins public. You know, and, and unfortunately, despite the fact that you had such a giant tzaddik and chacham, like Rabbi Aaron Kotler and Rabbi Aaron Rata, and, uh, you know, and all of the other Chachamim that, uh, you know, discussed this topic extensively in the previous generation. You see that in today's world, uh, it's almost as if everyone is playing the same game, pretending that this problem doesn't exist. Immorality is a either uh, not a problem in our house or it's simply too big to, to solve. It's too big to solve and therefore it's being ignored. And the truth be told is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself told us and warned us about this problem and many other problems, telling us, en there's no one that's above the issue of immorality. Everyone has to be taught this topic. Everyone has to be trained how to deal with this issue everyone has to know how to overcome the uh, the desire the lust whether male or female young or old married or single from or not everyone has to deal with this if they want to share in, in the world to come and uh the the only way to do it is by learning torah but if you're learning torah in yeshiva you're learning torah in a kolel and yet you uh are still clueless about this topic, then obviously you see that there is a missing ingredient in your yeshiva or in your kolel. But so then you say, okay, so let me go to the next yeshiva, the next kolel, the next speaker that's online that has a new video pop up every other day. Let me hear, maybe I'll learn from them. And then you see, no, you're still not finding it, not in that kolel, not in that yeshiva, and certainly not from that public speaker because they are more inclined to talk to you about different stories and different uh, interesting topics about emunah and bitachon and uh, how to make more money and different schoolot. But when it comes to the issues that happen behind closed doors, when it, ha- when it comes to the issues that comes behind your eyes, in your mind, very few uh, speak about it. Needless to say, almost nobody speaks about it in the English language. Uh, in Hebrew, Baruch Hashem, you have uh, several uh, Chachamim that talk about it on a regular basis, but in English, you don't have much. And this has been a recurring issue for years. And unfortunately, even the ones that have tried speaking about it in the English language have been silenced, have been silenced by some people that call themselves rabbis uh, and, and told them, no, this is not a topic to discuss in public. 
meaning that they believe that this topic needs to be discussed in private because it's a private problem. But anyone that watched the movie and, uh, and, and some of the work that went into it and some of the uh, things that we've discussed in other lectures throughout the years knows that this is not a private problem. This is very much a public problem. This is uh, very much a disturbing, growing problem uh, to the point where you have today uh, the general public of, of, of public school now has uh, books in their libraries that discuss how teachers are intimate with children and they think this is a good part of education. A group of parents in Virginia and a few other uh, states uh, are trying to sue the, uh, the, the, the Board of Education for, uh, for having such disturbing books in their library and there's obviously very popular uh, and well-known videos that have come out of some of these uh, brave uh, parents uh, calling foul on this whole disturbing notion that it's okay to be a pedophile, it's okay uh, to view it as a sexual preference rather than as a sickness. Uh, we all know that pedophilia and, uh, and, and all types of immorality has become standard. In fact, uh, just the, uh, the celebration of homosexuality has gone to the extent that some will actually view a person that's straight and normal as someone that is abnormal and perhaps a liar because he's hiding his true sexual preference uh, and is not uh, 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 willing to tell people who, what his real feelings are. Uh, it's, it's, it's sickening and disgusting uh, to, to know that all of this is just a small, small part of the truth that's out there. Homosexuality is celebrated. Pedophilia is being discussed in, uh, in uh, major uh, events and by major professors uh, that consider themselves educated as if it's a perfectly normal thing now. There's at least two, two wicked speakers that had the stage for a TED Talk that uh, said that pedophilia should be viewed as a sexual preference. There's also a uh, professor that recently published a book uh, saying that although he does not think that, uh, he doesn't want anyone to think that he is uh, uh, permitting uh, uh, sexual crimes, he does not believe that a preference of an adult preferring a child uh, should be viewed as a crime. And in essence, minimizing the disgusting nature of people uh, and trying to uh, really make it less taboo. And little by little, we see how in the last two decades, the world has transformed into Sodom and Gomorrah Mamash. Uh, and it's just getting worse. Now, of course, your average rabbi, your average religious person, your average religious father or mother, your average non-religious father and mother would like to believe that this is a problem of the goyim. This is a problem of the secular people that act like goyim. This is not a problem in the religious world, but unfortunately, I know too well from all of the different people that I try to help that these issues of immorality are in every house. As the Torah says in the book of Exodus about how when Hashem uh, killed the firstborn children of the, uh, of the Egyptians as a punishment for their wickedness, 
it also says in by chen bomet there's no house that there wasn't a dead person in it and the reality is that Chachamim used that same type of tone and language for situations like this where in reality and by chen bomet there's no house that doesn't have some type of dead body in there meaning somebody that spiritually uh has uh you know gone to a place uh of 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 trouble whether it's a uh, immorality whether it's uh, uh a uh, some type of uh, desire that's gone out of control and, and and on and on so with the long story short when i spoke to this big rav uh well-known rav and uh extraordinary talmit chacham and uh he saw the film at least parts of it and then he started asking me questions and he said what do you this is not really a problem initially his tone was that i don't really believe that this is a problem in the religious girl in a religious world you know the the, the girls are not really going to have this issue and as we're discussing things uh he starts telling me he's like listen yes of course we have issues where sometimes you'll have a uh, a girl that's in the uh, seminary that uh is dating an arab guy but uh eventually we try to convince her to go and marry a jewish guy of course you have some of these problems but i don't think it's really connected to what you're saying and perhaps it's because of his innocence and his uh righteousness that he never saw the filth of the world the way we saw it as people that uh, grew up secular uh and with all of the filth surrounding us uh whether you like it or not when you're not in the world of Torah all you have is filth and uh whether it's at work and your co-worker wants to show you something disgusting uh or it's uh you're simply in school or you have friends or all of these different things people are uh, very open about their uh their uh their activities that should be uh, not only stay behind closed doors it should never exist in some cases uh but nonetheless uh we saw too well what uh what damages happened in the world and uh, how easily accessible filth is to the average person and uh that also has been uh put into our teachings when we're teaching about tikkun abrit and, and and all types of other things and because of that many of the young men and uh believe it or not even women uh come to us asking for help to get rid of these addictions these uh horrible addictions to pornography horrible addictions to uh, uh promiscuity whether that promiscuity is with self or with others uh get a uh, uh help with overcoming the uh disgusting abomination of homosexuality and baruch hashem we have succeeded but uh to help several not one not two not three not five uh we've helped several people completely get rid of any desire whatsoever for homosexual tendencies of any kind to the point where uh we even have uh you know uh, on a couple of occasions uh have uh, people that have started completely normal lives get married happily of kids you would never know that these people had any issue of uh, uh that's uh made them uh in the past uh worse than an animal 
And we even have one of our dear students that wrote a letter that's on our uh, website about how he simply grew up in an environment that uh, viewed homosexuality as perfectly normal and celebrated it. And uh, so for him to get uh, the, the, the teachings that it's not only wrong, it's disgusting, it's revolting, it's an abomination, it's a guaranteed punishment in this world and the next, and so on and so forth, was definitely a shell shock. But after going through the uh, Musar teachings that we have for several years, this person, Baruch Hashem, has rewired his uh, neshama, his brain, his heart to have very normal and beautiful and healthy thoughts and uh and of course desires too but nonetheless uh it's a uh, no one says you shouldn't have desires but the, the the question is whether your desires are uh supposed to be had uh are your desires normal and the world is trying to tell people that having all desires is game you could have simply any desires perfectly normal and in essence trying to remove any type of taboo any type of uh, uh harsh language uh that is really appropriate for for these types of behaviors so this type of issue is in every house the religious and the non-religious and i explained to this rabbi that um, these issues are also in his yeshiva in his seminary it's everywhere if you have girls that are coming from religious households, whether it's modern Orthodox or it's Haredi or Hasidi, doesn't really make much of a difference. If they have boyfriends, if they are constantly talking to guys, you should know either they're no longer playing Monopoly and Tetris or they're on the way. Meaning that the issue of wasting seed by the guys everybody knows it's an epidemic but very few want to deal with it and the truth is that the guys are addicted to it much more today than any other time before simply because of the easily accessible pornography that's in the world uh and unfortunately if you are giving your child a phone and free uh freedom to do whatever he wants with it a computer and freedom to do whatever he wants with it or even friends and freedom to do whatever he wants with them it's only a matter of time before that filth reaches his mind and Hashem Yishmo, when it's going to come out. When it's going to come out. And unfortunately, the, the, the thing that this problem is being denied, but even a bigger problem is being denied, is that people don't believe that this you know, affects the girls. And it very much does. And that's why you're never going to see any major posek write uh, a, a alacha that it's perfectly permissible for a young good-looking rabbi to give a ongoing teachings to the same group of girls if you're ever going to find a leniency for a rabbi to teach young young girls torah you're going to see that it's typically someone that's first and foremost older not very attractive person a uh, physically speaking it's going to be an older person it's going to be a person that is an expert in torah and in yirat shamayim it's going to be a person that perhaps even has a helper as a uh, sometimes it may even be his wife or an assistant or, or somebody else it's never going to be some model looking type of rabbi giving a lecture to the same group of women why because the end apotropus there is no one out there that is above the issue of morality simply everybody is suspect and of course anyone that uh, uh has access to the world gets 
at least the weekly uh, newsletters out there that come out in the world, wherever they're coming from, with this week's pedophile, this week's rapist, this week's psychopath. Every week there's some other type of psychopath being exposed. Unfortunately, not all of the stories are, uh, are, are being told, and even more unfortunately, sometimes falsehood is being told. Like, uh, like uh, the things that are happening today with some people that have enemies then that want to destroy them. But either way, when I told this rabbi that I'm sorry to tell you, but if your girls are constantly talking to guys, they're not playing Monopoly. They're not playing uh, cards. They, they, at some point or another, the act happens. And there's really very little, if any, difference between them and secular girls perhaps your girls know about shabbat they know about kosher they even know how to read Taylim at the time of trouble but when it comes to the issues of morality the torah specifically told us no one is above morality the immorality issues meaning both men and women both young and old and if the uh, the girls are constantly talking to guys it's only a matter of time before the act happens and they're no longer going to be worth 200 zoos in their wedding. For anyone who doesn't know, there's a common price that's uh, written in a ketuba for a, a woman that's a betula, that's a virgin, that would be 200 zoos, and a woman that's not would be 100 zoos. But of course, the ketuba value is determined by the husband. But nonetheless, there is a significance, a Torah significance for a woman that preserves herself uh it is noted it is noted in the ketuba it is noted in the uh in, in uh uh in the world of, uh, of of torah and unfortunately today people simply are ignoring that many women out there are arriving to their uh to their wedding only worth a hundred zoos now of course they may be extremely righteous they may be bala tshuva they may be uh, fantastic human beings but the fact still remains that something happened at some point, once, twice, or a thousand times, that changed the course of nature for that person. And that can never be undone. That can never be undone, but this is too much of a politically uh, 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 correct issue that anyone would actually, or incorrect issue, that anyone would actually dare to speak about it. But of course, I spoke about it with the Rav, and uh, after we talked about this, he stopped. He said, I'm sorry, I have to, I have to step away for a second. And uh, we were on a video call, uh, and to my surprise, he started throwing up. He started throwing up, and, uh, and then he came back, and uh, he said, are you serious? This is, how do you live like this? I said, what do you mean, how do I live like this? He said, you have, you have little kids. What are you going to do with your kids? I said, keep them home. Keep them preserved. He said, I have kids. Everybody has kids. What are you, you're telling me everybody's, every, there's no house that's protected? I said, houses that teach this topic, houses that protect their kids from this topic, and don't ignore it as if it's not non-issue. We'll be okay, just like they have been throughout all the generations. But houses that uh, pretend like this is not a problem and allow their kids, boys and girls, to roam the streets whenever they want, to befriend whoever they want, to do whatever they want, those houses are not very different than secular houses.
they may know about Shabbat they may know about all types of things but those houses are not very different and your average girl is not the same average as what it was when I was a young kid where even your average secular girl wasn't uh, 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 typically a uh, uh, promiscuous uh, you know at such a young age today things have changed and even more so 80 years ago and 100 years ago and this rabbi started crying and he says to me you have to promise me this you have to make sure that you tell this message to every single rabbi that you know and I said I'm saying it in shiurim he said no you have to talk to rabbis you have to tell people what this is because a rabbi that's you know from from birth has all of the good traits there's no way for him to arrive at this conclusion he simply does not have the tools to arrive at this conclusion if he protected himself preserved himself throughout all of his life it's simply impossible for him to know that this actually is the reality in the world today because if everyone knew what you're saying then they would understand that we are in a holocaust much worse than the previous holocaust if this issue is not an issue just in the secular world and you're telling me that this is also in the so-called religious world because you're dealing with people not just making stuff up then that means that we are in a holocaust a holocaust unlike any other holocaust we've ever seen hence the reason why i'm telling you rabotai that if we do not start making sure that each one of our communities wakes up wakes up to realize that fear of heaven is not a suggestion it's not a recommendation but rather it's a survival tool that without it no one will be able to get rid of this unfortunate disaster holocaust that's happening in the world today everyone knows that intermarriage is at an all-time high a recent study that came out by PW Research that uh, renewed the research they did in 2013 and republished one during uh, 2000, late 2020 said that intermarriage percentages increased, increased drastically from the last seven years. Drastically. We're talking about an increase of over 30% from the previous numbers. And of course, they don't break down the, uh, the intermarriage rates in every sect of Judaism, but one of the, uh, one of the um, uh, people that were part of the study said that if he had to, uh, uh, if he heard that there's an intermarriage of 10% in modern Orthodox communities, it wouldn't surprise him at all. He said, in fact, I think it's closer to 20% of modern orthodox young men and women get married to non-jews now we're talking about people that technically grow up somewhat religious and he's telling us that 10 to 20 percent of them easily are marrying non-jews quite frankly i think the percentages are worse in some cases of course the intermarriage in the secular conservative reform worlds are even much much worse but nonetheless the fact that we see that there's intermarriage that in a previous study of 2013 was reported as only 2% is in reality closer to 20% in the so-called religious world, or at least part of the religious world, we understand that the problem did not start with just 
Joe met, met Christine and then they got married and then they became intimate. We realize that the problem started much, much earlier than the meeting between Yosef and the Christine. The issue started much, much earlier, much earlier than when Rachel met Jose, much earlier. Why? It started when there were still little kids and they were part of the generation that did not teach Yirat Shemayim, did not teach fear of heaven, did not teach the dangers of being out there, did not even teach the story of Dina, the daughter of Yaakov appropriately. And therefore, young men and women grew up without enough knowledge of what's out there and unfortunately ended up making all types of immoral immoral crimes against Hashem in their privacy and eventually with others and eventually with someone that is completely forbidden that you cannot even kasher. And of course, intermarriage is the outcome that everybody talks about on a regular basis, but in reality, intermarriage is easily solvable if you start when they're little kids. If you teach them how to make sure to view immorality as disgusting, as a forbidden thing that's not a forbidden fruit, but rather forbidden garbage, forbidden disgusting things, forbidden abomination. If you teach them that these things are not only forbidden, but they're vile, they're a destruction, they're a hydrogen bomb, they're a spiritual bomb, they're more vile and disgusting than anything else in the world today. If you brainwash your kids to understand this concept early on, you're not going to have an intermarriage issue. Why? It simply never becomes a topic. It never becomes a choice. But as long as we deny that this is even an issue, the problem will continue to grow, as it has been on a regular basis. And you see, Rabotai Karim, the Gaon Mivilna, knew very much about the dangers of the world and typically the ones that are closest to HaKadosh Baruch Hu know more about the HaKadosh Baruch Hu's world and the dangers in it. Hence the reason why they're so afraid of it. And in this part of the letter of the Igeret, the Gaomi Vilna talks about Bdidut, solitude. Now I know that the first part of this letter that we're going to discuss today some of you are going to say this is not for me this is not relevant to me but i promise you it is Translation, the Gaon Vilna writes to his family, and i.e. to us, the primary protection from improper interactions, 
such as prohibited speech is solitude of course prohibited speech is just one of countless prohibited interactions it's even more so forbidden to interact with the opposite gender if it's not your wife or your parents it's even more so prohibited to uh to uh interact with someone that is uh you know forbidden to you uh even if uh even if uh they uh, you liked each other because they're already married to somebody else or they're of a different religion and so on but here he's talking about the primary protection against all of these improper things is solitude solitude is the primary protection so that you should not heaven forbid leave your home for the outside and even in a synagogue you should keep your stay short and leave in fact it's it's better to pray at home for in a synagogue it's impossible to be spared from jealousy or from hearing idle talk or lashonara as it says in the gemara masechet shabbat page 33a and one will be punished for this as it is said also one who hears and is silent this is even more so on shabbat and yom tov when it's when they gather to talk meaning the community comes to the synagogue but instead of coming to serve hashem to pray they come to talk it's even it's it's then even better that you don't pray at all not even pray at home he says better to pray at home by default because that way you'll be away from the problems of people saying of forbidden interactions with people it's better to pray at home and on shabbat he says it's better not to pray at all than go to some of these synagogues that people come to to socialize now is this a chidush by the gaomi vilna with all due respect to the gaomi vilna it's not a chidush by the gaomi vilna in fact it's stated countless times by the sages of his time and before none other than the rambam the rambam himself wrote that a person is impacted by their surroundings and of course if their surroundings are wicked a person should run away from it so much so that the rambam says that uh, if a person is uh, in a city full of wicked people he must leave and go to the desert if he cannot find a place that's full of righteous people go to the desert why because a person is impacted by their surroundings he is impacted by his surroundings and so is she everyone is impacted by their surroundings it's simply one of the rules of nature that HaKadosh Baruch Hu instilled into the world now the Gaomi Vilna is taking us on a journey to protect us and he's telling us that first and foremost we've discussed some heavy things over these last few months throughout the first section of the letter of how idle talk can land a person in kafakela for anyone who doesn't know what kafakela is you should watch our lecture that uh, we made about kafakela 
But the point is, is that it lands a person in a very, very bad place, and that's idle talk, meaning it's permissible talk, but not at that time. We're not even talking about Lashonara, which is completely forbidden at all times. Or needless to say, Mutsi Shemra, going and creating things, creating rumors about people. These things land a person into a horrible, horrible place for a long time. He says you want to protect yourself against these forbidden interactions, forbidden conversations, forbidden places altogether. The number one way to protect yourself from it is simply staying away from it altogether. Don't be a superhero thinking that you're going to change the entire synagogue that's been there for 30, 40 years and everyone's talking in a synagogue, including the rabbi. There's no control whatsoever to be had in the synagogue and you're going to come there and you're going to convince everyone to stop talking in shul. The reality is, unless you have an enormous amount of Yirat Shamayim, a lot of Torah behind you and a lot of Siat Dishmaya, a lot of help from heaven, you can barely impact the person that's sitting next to you. In many of these places, you simply can't even pray there because you come and you want to pray, but all you could hear is not even your voice or the voice of the Chazan, but rather the voices of everybody's conversations. In the Mesilat Yesharim, the Ramchal writes in chapter 15, To this end, more precious than all else is solitude. For when one secludes himself from society, just as he removes worldly matters from his sight, so does he also remove their attraction from his heart. David Amelech taught us about the virtue of solitude in Tehilim, in Psalm chapter 55, verses 7 and 8, saying, Mi tenli ever kayona. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would wander afar and dwell in the wilderness, Selah. Meaning, David HaMelech says, if somebody would give me the wings like a dove, first thing I would do is fly away from here. Where? As far as possible to be as alone as possible. Why? There's too much danger here. We're not talking about dangers of swords. David Melech was a warrior. He wasn't afraid of swords in war, but rather the spiritual war. He said, if I can get be solitude, best thing in the world. Best thing in the world. We also see that Eliyahu Navi and Elisha Navi, his Talmud, preferred solitude. In the uh, Sefer Melachim, one and uh, in chapter 19 verse 8 and also Melachim 2 chapter 4 verse 25 we saw that Eliyahu Navi and Elisha Navi designated that their places of dwelling will be in the mountains away from everybody else and so did the many of our sages followed in their footsteps finding this to be the most conducive way to acquire the ultimate prishut. Prishut meaning getting rid of the addiction to this world. 
relieving yourself from all of it. There's a whole section in the Mesilat Yesharim talks about Prishut, which is what the Ramchal is discussing here. For isolating themselves, they ensure that the pursuit, pursuit of foolishness by their friends would not lead them to pursue foolishness as well. The Ramchal is simply telling us that we've already learned from our prophets, our sages, our king, David Melech. We've learned that no one is simply uninfluencible. If you're going to be next to people, either you are the center of influence and you are influencing everybody else or they're influencing you or a combination thereof. Most of the time it's a combination thereof. Hence the reason why many of the sages, the prophets, and even King David preferred to be in solitude because they knew that if they stay next to a certain amount of people, certain type of people on a regular basis, they would simply fall in the garbage with them. And although I know that this isn't most people's cup of tea, to be in solitude, to stay away from people, and so on, most people like to socialize. Most even believe they need to socialize. They need to call their friends every single day. They need to know that they have two, three, four, five, six, seven friends, acquaintances, colleagues of some kind that they could socialize with on a daily basis. People truly believe they need this. They need to socialize. They call themselves we're social beings and so on. But the truth is that most friendships don't end up well and in fact most friendships are not really conducive to your life but nonetheless people still believe repeating the same old mistake over and over again of not only making friends but making many and spending a lot of time into these temporary relationships because even though you say we're bffs forever that forever is perhaps maybe a week two weeks or two years at max not forever if it survives the year would be a miracle if it survives your high school ages it's a bigger miracle needless to say if it survives your marriage or their marriage friends change but yet people invest an exorbitant amount of time into so-called friendships and they feel the need to socialize with people so when you tell them listen the best thing you can do for your neshama for your family for your children is really to be somewhat removed from society i'm not saying you have to go live in a mountain in some cave but at the same token having a constant text message phone call exchange with five ten people with really for no real reason just checking out what did you do this weekend and spending so much of your time socializing with people is never a good idea it's never a good idea now of course most people will disagree and say no i need my friends i love my friends my friends and i help each other okay fine you can make believe that that's the truth but you're not smarter than david the melech nor of any of the sages and they're saying that the best thing you can do for your neshama is solitude 
Now, even though this doesn't necessarily interest you to be in solitude, and even if you say, listen, I agree with David Melch, but I just simply can't do it. I can't do it. I can't be alone. I can't be uh, away from all of my friends. I need my friends. Fine. Fine. No problem. But no one ever said that you need to necessarily be alone all the time. At the same token, why does everybody have to go to the opposite extreme? Where the advice from our Torah and its sages says solitude is the best thing you could have for your neshama. But yet the average person today thinks that the exact opposite is the ideal. Meaning the more friends the better. So much so that they literally spend half of their days trying to acquire more friends and socializing with their friends. Why do we have to go to that type of an extreme? Fine, you want to have one friend you learn with, you socialize with, that's fine. Two, okay. But why do you have to have three, five, ten, twenty, fifty, so many people in your life? For what purpose does it really serve you? The truth is, Rabotai, we're taking the advice of the sages and not only throwing it in the garbage, but rather we're taking the advice of the Satan and making it the billboard in our mind. Sages are telling us solitude is best. Satan is telling us as many friends as possible. Why? More opportunities to get you in trouble, more opportunities to influence you to do the wrong thing, more opportunities for you to fall into the sin with one of those so-called friends. And that's why the Gaumi Vilna is repeating the teachings that has been said time and time again over the years. Try to preserve. Now, on the other hand, Rabbi Cheske Sarna, who uh, wrote in the introduction to the Igeret commentary on Igeret he actually believes that this specific part of the advice in the letter was really just catered to the mother and the wife of the Gaumi Vilna to be in solitude because he figures that they're exempt from the mitzvah of learning Torah that is necessary to uh, it's a requirement for men they're not uh, obligated to learn Torah like men are and men that want to learn Torah many times it's better for them to learn with a chavuta with a group of people and so on so women don't have to do this and it's better that she uh, learns on her own so therefore there's no need for her to go to the synagogue at all she's also exempt from the mitzvah of going to synagogue and praying three times a day and we all know that it's better for a woman to preserve herself to stay at home take care of her kids take care of her husband take care of herself she doesn't need to go wallowing around in the streets on a regular basis especially with all the trouble that's out there and uh, david melech says in uh, Tehilim chapter 45 verse 14 kol kvoda bat melech pnima that the uh the the honorable princess dwells within all of the honor of the princess the daughter of the king is inside and chazal teaches us from there that it's better for a woman to stay inside and and stay out of trouble unless it is absolutely necessary for her to go 
do something that's outside if she can avoid going outside altogether it's better now of course sometimes the woman has to go shopping sometimes the woman has to go take the kids to school sometimes she has to work and so on but again it's not a forbidden to go outside it's just better to limit it people take it to a complete extreme make it seem as if Judaism wants the woman to be in jail and she's not allowed to go outside no one ever said that simply what we're saying is that the less you are outside socializing and and doing all the things that people do in the world the less likely you are to get in trouble same thing with the guys guys should be at a a, uh, synagogue praying or bet midrash learning or at work socializing going to all of these bars and clubs and parties and so on has never been good for anybody but nonetheless people continue to do it and they do it with out any limitation in fact they set up their weeks in such a fashion that they know that there's certain t- days they're going to do such activity that they're going to go out to such type of place and on a different day they'll go out to a different type of place where uh, the mondays they'll go to a bar and the tuesdays they'll go to a restaurant and the wednesdays perhaps they'll watch a movie that's going to destroy their neshama and on thursday maybe even a nightclub and this rabotai kalim is a is is something that is both in the religious world and a non-religious world of course the locations may be different some people instead of going to a nightclub they'll just go to a wedding every week they'll make sure they're on everybody's list and every week they'll go to some type of wedding some type of bar mitzvah some type of bat mitzvah they're constantly doing all of these mitzvot that are ruining their neshama and of course if they're going to so many parties they either have to be blind or sinful because if you go to so many parties and you see so many people surely you're going to see somebody that you're not allowed to look at and if a person is not taking this seriously and they're thinking that this is completely absurd it's it's too strict it's too this it's too that then all that means is that the satan has already chopped their head off they're already completely disconnected from reality they're completely disconnected from reality reality is if you go out on a regular basis if you're constantly wallowing around you're constantly doing all these different things that have become the norm in society your eyes have not seen something kosher in a long time and if it does they wouldn't be able to tell the difference between kosher and tarif and this is what the gaomi vilna is trying to warn us is saying that no maybe he's just warning his wife and his mother because they're absolved from these mitzvot but yet Rav Sarna says it remains true that even a man should he find himself a free moment from his responsibilities should engage in solitude to commune with himself and Hashem meaning that even if you want to look at it from the perspective that this advice was only given to these two tzaddikot they were married that uh, the tzaddikot was married to the gomi vilna and his mother and not to just any woman and surely it's not it's not catered to every guy it doesn't mean that the guys and girls that think this letter is not relevant to them should go out on a regular basis no you have to be selective with your destinations. 
if you have to work work learn learn pray pray everything else not necessary meaning limited as much as possible if you could eliminate it ideal but most people can't so if you can't eliminate it altogether it doesn't mean you should overdose on it either limit it limit it as much as possible why it's better for you now the Gaumi Vilna continues and he says should uh that you should not heaven forbid leave your home for the outside meaning leaving the house should be something that you should think about once twice a hundred times before you actually do it why do you need to leave your house I need to go shopping can't you shop some other way can you send somebody else to shop for you that's already outside today you don't even need to send somebody to shop you can just press the buttons on your phone or computer and the shopping comes to your house whether you're in Israel or in America or in Europe somewhere practically every country has shopping coming to your house if you can shop by doing it on the computer why not some people say no no but I like going to the supermarket oh okay so you like putting yourself at risk you like putting yourself in danger no 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 I just go and I I need to look at the shelves I need to see what's there okay fine if that's worth the risk by all means go do it no one's saying it's forbidden it's just that you have to evaluate how many people are you looking at how many people are looking at you is is all of that worth it is all of that worth it also how much time are you spending doing it sometimes if you go to a store you can end up spending two three or four times the amount of time than necessary just because you're in a store versus going to a place getting exactly what you need and finishing and going back to something more productive so a person has to think about this twice hence the reason why the Gomi Vilna says heaven forbid don't leave the house don't leave the house for no reason don't leave the house for no reason the Midrash says and this week's parasha this week's parasha we see that Yaakov Avinu leaves Levan's house and is going to meet Esav Esav wants to kill him Yaakov Avinu Christ to HaKadosh Baruch Hu says please save me Hashem from the hand of my brother from the hand of Esav a few years ago we gave the Chidush of how Yaakov Avinu is reminding us that although his brother is Esav he mentions both and in fact he mentions to Hashem please save me from my brother save me from Esav because the enemy is much more dangerous when it looks like your brother when it pretends to be your brother when it pretends to be the Rebbe the Rebbitzin when it pretends to be the Rabbi when it pretends to be your family member they're much more dangerous meaning that if you don't have your sensors your Yirat Shamayim sensors you could easily fall in the garbage with somebody that might as well be your parents or your brothers or your sisters because you aren't worried you figured out oh, since it's my brother since it's my sister since it's my cousin since it's my co-worker since it's it's my brother so it's, it's his family so I don't have to be so worried because you weren't worried 
that in itself made them more dangerous than Esav himself. Meaning that made them that made your brother, your your cousin, your whoever that is not of the same ideology, much more dangerous than some missionary, much more dangerous than some Nazi. In fact, the missionaries that are the most dangerous in the world are the ones that pretend to be Jewish. They call themselves Messianic Jews. They pretend to be Jewish, like these Reshaim from Arizona that uh, were exposed recently and the uh the other one that was exposed in israel multiple i mean this is becoming an every week story those are the most dangerous missionaries because they pretend to be your brother but even more so sometimes that dangerous missionary is not necessarily a missionary for a different religion he's just a missionary for a different ideology an ideology that is wrong an ideology that's heretical and sometimes he looks like your brother he looks like a rabbi he call himself manus friedman he'll call himself an ephraim goldberg he'll call himself some other name that sounds like a name of a respectable person with a respectable job that wants the good of society but in reality it's not even close to the truth not even close to the truth all they want is their own interest and they're willing to kill you in the process both spiritually and physically because all of their teachings are absent of the basic requirements of Judaism which is fear of heaven now Yaakov Avinu cries to HaKadosh Baruch Hu to, to save him from this enemy that sometimes can look like his brother and when the meeting finally happens the Chachamim teaches that Yaakov Avinu hid Dina, his daughter, from Esav because he did not want Esav to see his Dina, his beautiful daughter, and want to marry her because he wouldn't have a legitimate reason not to allow him to marry her. It's family, it's ideal, it's, you know, polygamy at the time was acceptable. So even though he, uh, Esav had multiple wives adding a nice from wife be good if you really want for my best let me marry her Yaakov did not want his wicked brother to marry his daughter and he hit her he hit her away but HaKadosh Baruch Hu punished him for it saying that Dina was very strong spiritually and she had the strength to make a Savdu Tshuva she had the strength to make a savdu tshuva and therefore because you removed you removed her opportunity to use her strength to change the world that strength will be used in a place that's unnecessary where instead of her strengthening somebody else to get closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, She's able to socialize. She's able to communicate. She'll need to exert that energy elsewhere. And that's why Dina, the Midrash says, was a Yatsanit, but Yatsanit. She was a person that went out. She was a social person. She went out. She wasn't allowed to go see Esav because he was a wicked person that Yaakov wanted nothing, nothing to do with. Rightly so, but according to Hashem, not rightly so rightly so from our perspective in today's world but in the level of Yaakov Avinu and his daughter not rightly so for us to do the same thing is obligation Yaakov apparently was judged in a different uh, measure 
Why? Because Dina was special. Dina had a certain ability that was able to change everybody to do tshuva. But unfortunately, since that energy was not used the right way, when she went out to go and use that social skills to see what the non-Jewish girls were doing, she ended up getting raped by one of these non-Jews. Where the Midrash says that Dina was the social person, daughter of a social person. His Amman was also a social person. To both Tzadikot. But she went and because of that uh, that ability being misused she uh, ended up being she because she wanted to see what's out there she ended up being seen herself and a mavin yavin that person understands understands she went to go see what's out there she was social and due to that, she ended up being seen, the Midrash says. So, Torah warns us about socializing extensively. The Gaomi Vilna says that it's really, heaven forbid that you would leave the, the house for no reason. And now, he goes even further. He says, even the synagogue. If you must go to the synagogue stay short time and leave go pray leave why do i have to i mean synagogue is a small bit of mikdash why should i go to the synagogue for such a short period of time shouldn't i stay there extra gomi vilna says no why because in synagogue he says if they're not praying they're making sins Anytime they're not praying, for sure they're making sins. And sometimes they're making sins while they're praying. Well, part of the Keilah is praying. Part of the Keilah is talking Lashonara, talking in the middle of prayer, doing all types of things that are forbidden according to the Torah. He says, so if you're going to go to the synagogue, keep it short and simple. Leave. He says, in fact, it's even better to stay at home. Why? Because in a synagogue, it's impossible to be spared from jealousy. Or from hearing idle talk, he said, You go to the synagogue, you're simply exposing yourself to dangerous things. Why? Why expose yourself to these dangerous things? Even if you're a strong person, you don't talk in shul. But just because you don't talk in shul doesn't mean that you don't get jealous when you see somebody else pulling up with a fancy car. Just because you don't talk in shul doesn't mean that you're not going to get jealous if you overhear one of the people talking about how he just got married to some beautiful woman or she got married or he got married or somebody got married and you're not married so jealousy is bound to happen you hear somebody successful in business and you're still basically looking for a job creates jealousy jealousy is forbidden even more so you hear about somebody saying lashonara lashonara unfortunately rabotai karim is standard standard for some reason or another there's a really big disconnect between some religious people and what the sages say why for whatever reason or another some religious people that read the torah think that all of the sins are pertaining to the secular people all of the issues and the rebuke that's talking about wasting seed and immorality and lashonara and like bad stuff is all pertaining to the secular people 
It has nothing to do with the religious people. So therefore, you're rarely ever going to see a from community give a shiur about Ilchot Shabbat and how someone that violates Shabbat is going to get death penalty. Rarely you're ever going to see a from community Rav give a shiur about issues of immorality, Tikkun Abrit, Pagam Abrit, and so on. Very rarely. Why? I don't think it's relevant to them. This is a huge disconnect from reality. Why? Because the entire Torah, both written and oral, were written not just for all of Klal Israel, but even more so for the religious people that actually know it exists and believe it. The secular guy that doesn't believe that he came from Adam Rishon, that doesn't believe that God is still monitoring every single thing in his life, including his thoughts, that doesn't believe that he's obligated to keep Shabbat, doesn't believe in Geinom, doesn't believe in anything, Torah is not really relevant to him. Why? He doesn't know it exists, Bichlal. He doesn't know he exists. Which means that the sages that discussed all of the issues, whether it be immorality or stealing or charging interest or, uh, or, or gambling or, or uh, the, the laws of Shabbat and desecration of Shabbat being death penalty or uh, losing Olama Bafa not learning Torah uh, uh, or whatever it is, all of these different things, they are pertaining to us, to the religious people, Rabbi For whatever reason or another, at some point, people miss the cue and they think that, no, no, this is only relevant to our poor brothers that don't keep the line foot. <laughs> it's actually more relevant to you. It's relevant more to you. And the God Vilna is telling us that the issues of Lashon Ara are really more relevant to the Frum community, not to the non-Frum community. The issues and the danger of Lashon Ara is much, much more prevalent in the secular in the uh, in the uh, from community than in the secular community why first and foremost anyone that read or learned at least some of the ilchot lashonara chafetz chaim knows that there is no deen of lashonara when it comes to goyim or when it comes to secular people which are if they violate shabbat they're considered idol worshippers they're considered non-jews so there's no issue of lashonara you can talk Lashonara about a, a non-Jew or a secular Jew as much as you want. You shouldn't. It's a bad, it's a bad character trait and it'll get you uh, more uh, uh, likely to talk Lashonara about kosher people. But it's not a sin to talk Lashonara about someone that's not a from Jew. So why did the Chafetz Chaim write Ilchot Lashonara if the only people that are violating it are the secular people? That are talking about each other all day, all night. Their news networks, their conversation. If they're not talking about somebody, they have nothing to talk about. Why would he write a whole sefer about Hilchot Lashonara that is constantly being violated by the people that don't even know it exists or care that it exists or know how to deal with it? Why? Because it's not for them. Hilchot Lashonara are for the Frum community, Rabotai. Meaning, you that go to the synagogue, you that keep Shabbat, you that cover your hair, you that are trying to do everything possible to be modest and send your kids to yeshiva. That's who Ilchot Lashonara is for. That's who it's for. And that's who the Gaomi Vilna is saying to his wife, stay away from those people. He's not saying stay away from secular people. He says stay away from those from people. 
that go that you see in the synagogue, stay away from them. Why? All day they say Lashonara. All day. If you go to synagogue, you go over there, you're gonna say Lashonara with them also. Why? Secular people, they don't go to synagogue. They don't go to synagogue. They go to casinos. They go to uh, baseball games. He's not warning his wife from secular people. He's warning his wife from from people. He said, stay away from synagogue. Why? There's religious people there. Those religious people, they say Lashon And if they say Lashon it's a sin. Not only on them, it's a sin on you too. Why? Because they're religious. For them, it's a sin. The secular person, his whole life is a sin. His whole life is a sin. Lashon is the least of his problems. He's considered an idol worshiper. He's violating Shabbat on a regular basis. Think Lashonara is relevant to him? He doesn't even realize that there's one God. He has a Buddha statue in his living room because he thinks it's beautiful. Doesn't realize there's an idol in the middle of his house. Think Lashonara rules of him? No, it's for you, a religious community. So those religious people, stay away from the money. Why? They speak Lashonara. That's who the Gomi Vilna is warning his wife from. Don't go to synagogue. Why? They say Lashonara over there. Rabotaya Karim. What do you think? This is a problem that started 200 years ago? And it's only then? It's today. Now. No end to Lashonara. No end to Lashonara. Unfortunately, Rabotaya Karim, one of the stories that came out recently with the, uh, with the uh, young non-Jewish kid, Elia, I think his name is, who pretended to be Jewish and got married to a uh, Jewish uh, girl from the Syrian community. That uh, whole story has created probably more Lashonara than, uh, than a lot of other things in the last couple of weeks. The good news is that there's no issue, there's no dean of Lashonara when you're talking uh, about this young man, even because he's not Jewish currently, but he will become Jewish from the uh, short interview that I saw of him talking if he, uh, he sounds very sincere, very, very cute young man, very, uh, you know, uh, very, uh, just a precious uh, neshama. And Be'ezot Hashem, he is sincere and he will become Jewish one day. Whether or not he's going to marry that same uh, woman again remains to be seen. I highly doubt it. But nonetheless, it's a, uh, it would be wonderful to have another precious neshama in our Jewish community. And hopefully he finds somebody that's going to be able to help him convert and learn what the truth is and how you have to be honest regardless of whether it's a uh, uh, fits your agenda or not. And he has a lot more to learn. But of course, if you go to a synagogue that uh, for seven years didn't even ask you if you're Jewish, didn't even tell you what the rules of Shabbat are, uh, and doesn't even say, you know, a lot of things, of course, how is he supposed, how is he expected to know the truth? But nonetheless, uh, this, this young man, a lot of people are talking about it. If people are talking about him, it's not a problem. It's not a problem. It's not a problem to talk about him. Why? He's not Jewish currently. Once he becomes Jewish, shouldn't talk about him anymore. But people are talking about him, the whole story about him, it's not a problem. You know what's the problem? People talk about the family and make up all types of stupid uh, rumors. That's Motsi Shemra. People start talking, chit-chatting, all types of stuff. There's a lot of Lashonara there. But, unfortunately, that's not the worst of it. You know what the worst of it is? When you have wicked people like Meza, Shem Reshaim Yerkav, the Christian that pretends to be Jewish, 
he decides that he's going to defend the non-jewish kid and with all due respect to the non-jewish kid he made a crime he's suffering the punishment for it and hopefully he does chuba and uh and fixes it but nonetheless he still did something wrong there is no defending him here he did something wrong he can fix it chuba is acceptable among everybody but nonetheless he did something wrong but Mesa says no no we need to defend him and go and go against all the other people everybody else is wrong including Benenu. why because they publicize the story Benenu has nothing to do with the story they were not involved in the story what does it show wicked people will always defend the wrong and go against the right so this is again one small little token that's happening in the news today something further it's much uglier actually much much uglier is that in the last week there was a uh, ugly article came out by uh this secular uh newspaper called Aritz who uh says that uh, they are uh, uh they uh they believe they have apparently uh multiple uh people multiple young girls that were uh raped by uh a uh uh Chaim Walder who is a very well-known uh Rabbi Chaim Walder is a very well-known author of children's books in the Torah world perhaps over 50 books both in Hebrew and English other languages I'm assuming and they claim that he is a pedophile and so on and so forth of course disgusting disturbing if true if true but so far there's no evidence for it why hasn't gone to Bedin hasn't gone to court hasn't gone to anything all there is is a story of some anonymous characters that are saying they got hurt from this person now of course Lashon doesn't end the damage doesn't end and like I said it doesn't end in the secular community it started in the secular community but it doesn't end there why because now you have Jewish organizations jumping on the bandwagon and also publicizing the story oh you see Chaim Walder, he, uh, he's a pedophile, he's accused of pedophilia, he's accused of all these different things. And if that's not bad enough, this organization, uh, bookstore Eichler's, made a public statement today due to the uh, 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 heavy accusations or the story uh, about what's happening. We are removing his books from our, uh, from our stores, although it's going to be a big financial loss we with a heavy heart we're making this move. meaning they are looking in the eyes of themselves like righteous people if only the owners of Eichler's would actually read the books that they publish they would know that what they did is going to land them years in Gainon years in Gainon for all of those people that are publicizing the story at this moment when it's only an accusation everybody knows I'm the first to jump into the fire and expose wicked people only when you have proof not when it's accusations not when it's anonymous accusations from unreliable sources if Wilder ends up being a pedophile I'll be the first to make a whole lecture about it exposing the filth that anyone did whether it be he or anybody else 
But so long as it's simply accusations, there is no permission for anyone to share an article, anyone to talk about this, anyone to act upon it. And the only reason why I'm doing it myself is simply because it's already public and it's getting more public and the publicity of it is making it more believable. Meaning the action by Eichler's is simply like they have already sided with the anonymous accusers that are coming from a secular source. They're already siding with them that he is guilty with no evidence, with no proofs. They simply have decided he is a danger to society. And it's just like that, that you murder somebody in cold blood and lend yourself in Gehenom. If the owners of Eichler's had a eyes and a brain to match it and would use that eye and brain to read the books that they sell, they would have never done it. You have a problem with what's going on. You feel uncomfortable because of the accusations. No problem. You're allowed to stop selling the books, but do it quietly. Suddenly you ran out of stock. Because you don't want to sell his books. You're not obligated to sell his books. Not obligated to sell his books. But why do you have to pretend like you're so righteous and make a public announcement that we're not going to sell his books anymore? Do you have evidence that he's guilty? No. If he ends up being guilty, you're still wrong. Why? Because at the time, at the time you made this decision, there was no evidence to the story that were at least public knowledge. So unless you have evidence of it, there's no reason for you to make that decision. And if you have evidence of it, you have to show that evidence. You can't just simply destroy the guy where if he ends up being innocent, you have already murdered him in public. Why? Because in the public's eye, until he proves himself innocent, which only a Kadosh Baruch who knows it's even possible. You now have put yourself in a situation where you're murdering the guy, you're murdering his whole family, all of his kids. His name will never be the same. Why? Because of you, the religious community, not the Aaretz, secular, lefty, liberal, anti-Torah organization. No religious person with Yilat Shemaim takes them seriously. All they do is destroy religious people. But you, the religious community that sells religious books, sided with them already without evidence, shows how the secularization that you're in has influenced you. And I think if you would have used Da Torah, that's in the books you publish, in the books you sell. That Torah of the rabbi that perhaps is connected to the community. You would have never gotten the permission. And if you got permission, perhaps you should change it, rabbi. Because you don't have evidence to destroy this person. If he comes out and he says, yes, I made all of these crimes. And at that moment you decide... You're 100% right. But so long as it's just accusations, you have no permission. But you see, the problem is that the wicked people, the wicked people like Meza will turn 
the accusations into facts and the facts into accusations. When we brought the fact that the non-Jewish missionaries in Arizona were not Jewish and were missionaries, the wicked people says, yeah, but it says in the article accusation, allegedly. Yeah, that's because the journalist chose to use that language for legal reasons. But it's factual and even mentioned within the same article that they are non-Jews and they are missionaries. And there's endless amount of documentation to show so. But yet, when it comes to destroying a fellow Jew, they go and they jump into it. Rabotaya Karim, the Gaumi Vilna is warning us from going to the synagogue. Why? That's where a lot of the problems are. Our own backyard, our own synagogues, our own yeshiva, our own kolel is simply oblivious of our own crimes. And we're all guilty. I'm not pointing fingers at any one particular person or any one particular neighborhood. The reality is we're all guilty to some extent of living an oblivious life. An oblivious life. It's time we woke up and smelled the coffee. Realized that what the Gomi Vilna was trying to teach us a couple of hundred years ago is very much applicable today. You have to be careful of where you go and how you spend your time and even more so what comes out of your mouth and what enters your ears. And of course, needless to say, what your eyes allow to enter your neshama. And if a person is simply going to be oblivious and pretend like nothing bad can enter and nothing bad can leave, it's virtually too late to save such a person. What they call in Hebrew Mikre Avud, lost cause. And that's what Arabi again, Allah Shalom, used to say when people would ask him, How come you don't do as many seminars and lectures in the religious communities as you do in the secular communities? Arabi again said, Not once or twice, but many times. He says, When I go and speak to religious people, the problem that I deal with is that they all think that they're religious enough. It's almost a lost cause. It's almost a lost cause. Why? You talk to somebody who thinks that he's doing everything right. <laughs> How can you help him if he already thinks he's doing everything right? How can you help him? You can't, you can't help a person that thinks he's doing everything right. You can only help a person that is looking for help. If a person is not looking for help, there's simply nothing to do. The... Gaon Mivilna is saying that the issues of Lashonara, idle talk, jealousy, these are prevalent in the synagogues. And the Mishnah Masechet Avot warns us of the same exact thing too. Mishnah Masechet Avot, in this particular seder, it's a uh, chapter 4, Mishnah number 28. There are other uh ways that the mishnah is set up where it's mishnah number 21 but nonetheless this mishnah begins a teaching it says rabbi lazar kapa omer akina v'atava v'akavod motziin et ha'adam in ha'olam 
says, Rabbi Elazar, a kapal, says jealousy, lust, and honor, meaning a person is looking for glory, remove a person from the world. Remove a person from the world. Why remove a person from the world? These are three common reasons of what a person is willing to fight for wrongly and lose their alamaba. Lose their alamaba. How so? A few simple examples. He is jealous. He's a jealous person. Why? He sees that his friend is making a lot of money and he's not yes friend how you make money he says i work in cash advance business so he said can you get me a job in cash advance business she goes absolutely i'll get a job in cash advance business a lot of uh, religious people in cash advance business so he goes into cash advance business and within one two or three minutes he realizes there's something wrong here everybody's rich everybody's making a lot of money it's not normal it's not normal how come the banks are not making that kind of money? Even Wall Street's not making that kind of money. How come these high school dropouts and illiterate people are making so much money without even knowing how to speak English the proper way? How is it possible that everybody's making 20, 50, 100, 200,000 dollars a month? They barely know how to complete a sentence. He knows there's something wrong, but because he's so jealous that his friend has a nice car and a nice house and a nice watch and a nice this and a nice that, he's willing to close an eye. Or both eyes and even including his mind and then when he realizes that all the customers that he's lending money to are getting charged obnoxious rates that are wrong that are corrupt that are not conducive to the interest of the client but only conducive and to the interest of the predators therefore these rates are called predatory rates 40 50 80 100 percent 400 percent one was caught charging 4,000%, but don't be so, uh, you know, shocked by the 4,000% because the 4,000% interest is not that much more wrong than a 50% interest. 50% interest is wrong according to the Torah and so is 4,000%. Both people are going to gain on. But yet this religious boy that went to yeshiva and sometimes was even an avrech for a few years, is so jealous of the people that have nice material things he's willing to take the Torah and simply leave it at the door it's not relevant to the way he conducts his business and therefore he ends up lending money with predatory rates and even lends money to Jews charging people interest giving them some toilet paper and calling it an eteriska but in reality he his boss and even his customer have lost their share of the world to come why jealousy of course there's jealousy in the rabbinical world where people are simply making rumors about other people why they want their job he wants to be the rabbi of the keilah he's an assistant today but he wants to be the head rabbi and he views himself as better than the head rabbi even though the head rabbi built the keilah for 30 40 years and he's only been there for two or three years he figures the rabbi has done his thing i need the job the rabbi is old already 
So he starts making up all types of rumors about the rabbi. Or the Rosh Yeshiva, like the whole fighting that's been happening in Eretz Yisrael inside. A yeshiva, the, 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 the Bachurim, are fighting each other, fist fighting each other, throwing chairs and tables at each other, and even in some cases hitting the rabbis that they don't agree with, physically hitting them. Why? Jealousy. Jealousy, Rabotai, destroys people in the Frum community. Of course it destroys them in the secular community, but like I said many times, it's not relevant to most secular people because they don't even think jealousy is anything wrong with it. You tell a person it's not good to be jealous, he goes, what do you mean? All of media is built on jealousy. All of marketing is built on jealousy. There are even terms that were created in order to market things to the extent where people are standing online for multiple days just to be the first person to get a phone. They go on a line, they take off time from work to go on a line in a freezing cold or dreadful heat for one, two, three days just to be the first person to buy a game console or a phone or some other device. Why would anybody that's normal ever do such a thing? Because of the marketing term, fear of missing out. Fear of missing out being the first one to tell everybody, I have it and you don't. Fear of missing out of the opportunity of causing other people to be jealous. Meaning jealousy is so prevalent in the secular community it's actually admired so the teachings about jealousy removing a person from this world the next world all of these things it's not relevant to a secular person it's not for a secular person that secular person you have to go aleph bet with them you have to teach them that there's a god that's going to punish them if they don't change start there and build from there this teaching is for the from community you guys have jealousy and therefore you are simply making up rumors about people that are innocent. In other cases, you have husbands that don't want their wives to leave them, even though they've been insulting, abusing them, and even hating them. But when the wife decides that she can't stand this predator anymore, or vice versa, when the husband can't stand this evil wife anymore and they want to leave, what do they do? They make up rumors. Oh, he cheated on me, he beat me, she beat me, she cheated on me, and they make up all types of things. Why? Jealousy. Jealousy that these people are able to move on and you can't. Jealousy that they don't need you. And you feel like you need them. And on and on. Jealousy, Rabotai Karim, is one of the conditions, one of the spiritual conditions that assures a person he will not be re- resurrected with the dead. Even if they observe Torah and Mitzvot, if they're jealous, it is a form of her- heresy. Why? Because when you're jealous of another person, you're in essence saying to Akadosh Baruch Hu, that he made a mistake and gave what's yours to them. 
When you're jealous of somebody else's money, that means that you believe that Hashem made a mistake and gave that person your money. That's heretical. Jealousy in its root is heretical. It comes from arrogance. It comes from a bad place. And it's one bad thing leads to another. Hence the reason why Rabbi Lazar Kapal says jealousy. Jealousy is one of the things that people know is wrong, but yet they're willing to lose their ulama for it. They're willing to lose their world of this, this world for that. Guy is jealous of his friend's wife, the Gemara says. He ends up waiting for the guy to leave and ends up raping that guy's wife. This is a story in the Gemara, a real story that happened. Why? He kept looking at this guy's wife. She's so pretty. And when the opportunity struck, he figured maybe she want to go on a date. And when she didn't want to go on a date, he figured he'd make her go on a date and, and committed all of the crimes in a Torah in a single moment, which started with jealousy of him looking through a fence, him looking through the glass, him looking at something that doesn't belong to him. That's jealousy that took a person out of this world. That wasn't a secular person. That was a firm person. Rabbi Lazar Kapaz is teaching us jealousy is dangerous. All the Gaumi Vilna is saying, same thing that the Mishnahari says. But also lust. Lust is a thing that people are willing to lose their eternity for it. They lust for things that don't belong to them. They lust for things that are an illusion. They get addicted to pornography and don't realize how what cost this pornography comes with. What cost to their marriage? What cost to their spirituality? What cost to their Torah learning? What cost to their parnasah? They simply don't even consider these issues. The lust of a young person can simply land them in a marriage that they don't want or land them to become a murderer because of abortions becoming such an easy tool to murder as many as you possibly can without being prosecuted and going to jail. Lust has led to people losing their world here and in the next world. And we have extensive teachings about it for anyone who doubts it for a moment. But lust comes in all forms and sizes. Comes in all forms and sizes, and even though everybody knows, including the perpetrators, they all know it's wrong, they're willing to lose their world in this world and the next just to have that momentary pleasure of lust. They put the blindfold on themselves. And of course, honor. Honor, Rabbi Lazar Kapal says, is another one of those things that people lose their world for it. Why? He wants honor. So he's willing to break all the rules for the sake of honor. He'll change the Torah and tell people that there's no punishment, there's no genom. And as you see from many of the heretics, the more popular they become, the more heretical their thoughts become. Why? Because a person that seeks honor is like a beggar that can never be satiated. Every day, change, 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 honor, 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 Please recognize me. Please, please look at me. 
please uh, pay attention to me. Please say my name, even if it's in a curse, even if it's a uh, an insult. Just say my name. Just look at me. Look, look. That's honor, Rabotai. Beggars, the literally the bottom of society. Even though many of them have upper roles, you'll see them in leading positions. And I'm only talking about the rabbinical world, the Jewish world, the frum world, because surely this is obviously in a secular non-Jewish world. It's pretty much all honor, all lust, all jealousy. I'm talking about in the frum community, in our backyard. You see people that claim to be the head rabbi of the uh, of England. All he does is seek honor. Just look at him. Look, I'm a, he's willing to be with an idol worshiper and call him his best friend. He's looking. To, he's willing to be with the Pope and say to the world that he admires the idol worshiping leader, Pope. The Pope. He's uh, he's willing to change the Torah and write a book about how homosexuality should be welcomed and everything is okay even though the Torah says it's not okay and he's not the only one you also have Manus Friedman Shem Reshaim Yerkav as more and more people fall for his trap he makes up more and more heretical comments about how there's no punishment God needs us and all types of mumbo jumbo and of course all of the little minions that are seeking the same type of honor are also starting to follow the Manus Friedman way and change the Torah and say that there is no punishment and homosexuality is okay and all of the other things. And, and literally, you have people that in the past were kosher people, decent people, even Talmidei Chachamim, are willing to throw it all out. Why? They want the honor. They want the popularity. And you see them getting worse and worse. Of course, Meza, Shem Reshaim Erkav, he has, uh, has always been bad, but his recent uh, behavior, literally, I don't even know how much worse it's going to be. Perhaps once he goes to India in the next few months, he's going to be in, uh, make a video about him praying to some idol. Maybe then people will finally get the point that the guy's an idol-worshipping idiot. But nonetheless, Rabotai Yekirim, the, the search for honor is simply a tool that takes a person out of this world instead of doing something good and conducive for society something useful they only think about themselves and they're willing to lose everything for it they're willing to lose everything for it and Rabbi Elazar Kapar continues in the next Mishnah saying these three things I didn't say them for naught he didn't say that for naught. Why? You should know. What does it mean? They're going to lose their world. What does it mean? What? They just die and turn into dust? People are going to make uh, cement out of them? Make them into fertilizer? What's the... Okay, so they lose their world. Big deal. Abiel Zakapa used to say, The newborn will die and the dead will live again. The living will be judged in order that they know teach and become aware that he is God he is the fashioner he is the creator he is the discerner he is the judge he is the witness he is the plaintiff he will judge blessed is he before whom there is no iniquity no forgetfulness no favoritism no acceptance of bribery for everything is his know that everything is according to the reckoning 
and let your evil inclination not promise you that the grave will be an escape for you for against your will were you created against your will you were born against your will you will live and against your will you will die and against your will you are destined to give an account before the king who rules over kings the holy one blessed is he you see Rabotai Karim this particular Mishnah is the Mishnah that many of the much of the commentary about Gehenom comes from this Mishnah is connected that whole shiur that we made about Gehenom several years ago was based on this Mishnah because a person that thinks that the sages mentioned these few things and say this is bad for you and doesn't truly understand the magnitude of their words sometimes has to get clarity and Rabbi Akapar, Rabbi Elazar Akapar gives that clarity and tells us these three things will remove a person from the world and don't think removing a person from the world assures them heaven why because just like they were born and will die those that have died will live where are they going to live in an eternity in eternity life that begins after life and the living will be judged why their actions if they were jealous if they were looking for honor if they were following their lusts and they need to know they need to teach who teach you teach themselves teach their family teach their students teach their communities and become aware that he's God yeah but I believe in God no 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 being aware that he's God and believing God two different things aware that he's God means that every single action that you are taking during your day has God in mind that's aware aware that God is next to you at all times watching you God is writing every single thing that you do seeing everything you do listening to everything you say including what you say in your mind and everything is being accounted for he is the one that created you he's the fashioner so therefore don't think for a moment that he doesn't understand you or that his understanding of you will absolve you from your crimes furthermore you should know that he's the creator and therefore he knows his creations he knows your limitations don't think that you have any excuses for any of your crimes he's the discerner he knows exactly what you can handle and what you can't handle he's only going to give you things that you can handle and therefore saying this is too much is at the very least the dust of heresy if not heresy itself he is the judge and he is the witness he is the plaintiff and he will be the one to judge you he doesn't need help of your friends or your family or anybody else he's the one that's going to judge he's also the one that's the witness because he saw you make those sins when you made them even if you forgot them and he's also going to be the one that sues you even though he's your father why because he has a world to run and that world is is built off of his signature called emit truth he cannot forsake that truth just for you person that questions God thinks that oh maybe why did God put me into this world if I'm gonna fail he's not making you fail you're making you fail 
and in fact you questioning god you're saying that hashem has a mistake has an iniquity and this mishnah says he has no iniquity he has no sins he made no wrong in fact he also is not going to forget all your sins he's not going to forget all your mitzvot either and he's also no favoritism and there's no bribery and if you say yeah but 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 that but's not going to help. Maybe you convince your wife or your husband with that, but you're not going to convince Hashem with that but. Everything is his, Rabotai Karim. Everything is his, including you and me. Everything is his. And you living for the moment, that moment, to show off that you have a little bit of money. To show off that you could do this, that, and the other. It's not going to pay the dividends that you think it's going to pay. I promise you that. I promise you that. Anyone that saw that film that we just published, World of Lies, has seen what you've probably seen elsewhere, but nonetheless, in a different perspective of how, when you see people that are materially successful and flaunting the money, really all you're seeing is a moment in time you're not seeing success you're seeing a moment in time where something looks like success you see a guy spending three four five six hundred thousand dollars on one night party and you think wow that guy's successful no that guy's a loser and he has so much losses and emptiness in his heart that he feels the need to spend that much money to get attention he's not a winner he's not a success he's a loser because if he was a winner, he wouldn't waste his money on such things. The point is, people still admire such people. Not realizing those, those very same people. That people are admiring because of their success. First and foremost, that's only a success in the moment. Who says they're going to be successful tomorrow, five years from now, ten years from now? Second of all, who knows all of their lackings, as we've seen the overwhelming majority of these people at some point or another are exposed to have many lackings according to everybody's standards whether it's their their disgusting lusts and pedophilia and 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 rape and all types of adultery or all types of strange urges and and and, uh addictions and so on and so forth all people see is a moment in time but yet they conclude that this is the person. Rabbi Elazar Kapal says, "Hakadosh Baruch Hu is not going to take bribery not from those people, not from you, not from me, not from anybody. And all that money that they're wasting is his money. It's his money, and they're wasting it. They were supposed to use it for good things. Instead, they're wasting it. They'll get punished for that. Why? He gave them a blessing, and they threw it in the garbage." They used that blessing to go against him. He gave them a blessing to go earn more blessings. What did they do? They took the blessing and they made more sins with it. And he knows everything. Everything. And don't let your evil inclination promise you that, oh, when you die, it's going to be okay. All your problems are going to go away. Why is Rabbi Elazar tell us that? Because life does not end here life just stays here for a moment but begins after this life 
And when people tell you they're not sure if there's an ashama, they're not sure if there's a soul, those people are very sick people. They're spiritually sick people. Why, if you think that your whole life is just for the sake of this world, what's stopping you from killing somebody that has what you want? If you think that your life is only based on this world, what's stopping you from committing all of the most vile crimes there is to make just to get what you want? Anyone that believes that this world is the only world that they're going to live in is 100% suspect, murderer, rapist, adulterer, and every other crime under the sun in the making. It's only a matter of time. Why? If you think that this world is it, why wouldn't you make every crime under the sun if you deem it necessary? Because if this life is the only life, that means you've become God to yourself. Because you determine what and who and when and there's no consequence for your actions hence the reason why Rabbi Kapal says don't think that the grave is going to be an escape for you for against your will you were created and against your will you were born against your will you will live and against your will you will die you have no control you are nothing you're a zero. The only thing that's in your control is whether you're going to do the will of Hashem or not. Other than that, you have zero control over anything else. You can't even control your, your, your ability to sneeze, yet you think you control eternity. You think that you are the control of your own destiny. You're only smart in your own eyes. And you're destined to give an account before that king of kings. Who's that king of kings? That very same king of kings you've denied your whole life. Even if you pretended to be religious. Even if you did not pretend to be religious. You were secular to the max. At some point you're going to meet your maker and there's no more talking. A person understands these things is afraid. Is afraid. If he's not afraid, he should be even more afraid that he's not afraid. And unfortunately, we don't understand the significance and the importance of being afraid of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Perhaps the story will tell us where we all came from. Who our grandparents were. Maybe we can learn something from them. One of the great sages of the previous generation, American Jewry, who uh, helped build American Jewry with Rabbi Aaron Kotler was Rav Leib Rotkin. Rav Leib Rotkin in a uh, sefer called Shimcha Lo Shachachti, Your Name I Did Not Forget. He tells a story that he heard as a uh, young man in uh, yeshiva from uh, the Mashkiach of the yeshiva, Rabbi Yeshua Darner. Rabbi Yeshua Darnel, this is before the war, before the Holocaust. It's extraordinary poverty. But the group of boys that came to his yeshiva made an extraordinary self-sacrifice. To come learn in his yeshiva, they wanted their met Little boys, little kids. Overcame poverty, hunger, all of these things of this world were completely inconsequential to them, irrelevant to them. They wanted to learn. And 
Rabbi Yoshua Darner said to them to stay with that kind of clean mindset, focused mindset, to build yourself to the eternal world, to be an Eved Hashem, you need to learn from the previous generation. What's the previous generation? He says, before some of many of you were born, there was a chazan in a shul that uh, came to uh, pray with us for Yamim Noraim, the high holidays. And this chazan, this chazan, he uh, wasn't, he wasn't a famous Talmit Chacham or anything. But this is what happened and what I witnessed with my own eyes, he says, Rabdana. Says the Ashkenazim, they have a custom to uh, say a uh, song, a prayer. Starts with Yereti Befitsuti Siach Lashkin. That I was afraid to open my mouth and say anything. Obviously, they sing this much better than I can. But this is the part of the prayer of the Ashkenazi community till this day. This Chazan, not a famous Tomit Chacham. Not a hidden tzaddik of one of the 36. But a chazan prays. Has yirat shamayim. But on that day, everyone understood what they're dealing with here. Why? When he said the first words, Yereti v'fitzoti siach l'ashri, he passed out. It's early in the morning, high holidays. They're not really sure why this happened. They pick him up, wake him up, goes back on a bima, says the same few words, and passes out again. People baffled, perhaps. He hasn't eaten. Maybe he's weak, even though you're not allowed to eat before you pray. Still, perhaps it affected him more than others. They wake him up the second time. Goes back on a bima. He says the words. And he continues the song, the prayer. So after the prayer, Rabdana says, we asked him, what happened? You weak? You have a sickness? Hungry? Tired? What happened? And the Chazan from the previous generation, Rabotayikin, we're not talking about a thousand years ago. We're talking about pre-World War II, 80 years ago. Average Chazan, not worldwide renowned as the greatest tzaddik in the world or anything, Passed out twice in front of everybody in the high holidays. And the community wants to know what's wrong with him. And the Chazan says to them, 
you see the song, it says, I was afraid to open my mouth and say anything. But when I said those words, I realized I'm not afraid to say anything. And as soon as I realized that I'm not afraid to say anything, I'm not afraid of Hashem, I passed out. I passed out because I realized I'm really not afraid of Hashem. So I passed out. Okay, what about the second time? So the second time I said that I was afraid to open my mouth and say anything, I realized that not only am I not afraid of Hashem, but I didn't even realize that I'm not afraid of Hashem. And I got so afraid of the fact that I'm not afraid of Hashem, I passed out. I could not handle the fact of how could I be so far from Hashem that I'm not afraid of Him, and I passed out. And the third time, when I was able to say the words that are written in the Siddur, I was only able to do it because by then after passing out twice finally the fear of Hashem entered me and I did not feel like a liar anymore so I was able to say the words when a person is not afraid of Hashem it's already a problem when a person is not afraid of the fact that they're not afraid of Hashem, it's even a bigger problem. But the worst of all is when we have a bunch of people sitting silent while wicked people teach against the fear of Hashem, against the foundation of the Torah. So much so that the basic foundation of our Torah is nowhere to be found in many communities. So much so that many people are denying the problems that are in our backyard. If we do not start teaching our children about the fear of heaven, only HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows how much worse he will allow this world to get to before he destroys it like he did Sodom and Gomorrah. Each one of us can't fix the whole world, but we can fix ourselves. We can work on ourselves. We can help our families. We can teach them not just what's right and wrong in the eyes of man, but even more so what's right and wrong in the eyes of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We can teach them what's disgusting in the eyes of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and why they should run away from it. How they have an obligation to fear Hashem and all the reasons in the world to do so. We have to teach our children that what everyone else is celebrating is simple insanity. And if you walked into a room full of insane people, it's not right for you to join them. The 
you won't become smarter for it. It's time we each took charge of our own household, our own selves. Learn to cleave to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, even when it's inconvenient. Protect our neshama through thick and thin by not allowing ourselves to fall trap into all of the evil that's in society that's around us. And most importantly, try to share this information. This basic level information that is treated like enlightenment to this generation. Share it with everyone. Give them a chance. Give them a chance to see the truth for what it is. Perhaps they'll do the same thing you're doing. Thank you again for learning Torah with me. Be'ezrat Hashem, we'll see each other again tomorrow. Questions and answers. Perhaps tomorrow will be a better day with more Torah, more mitzvot, less sins in the world because each one of us has spent the next 24 hours not just sleeping, not just eating, not just relieving ourselves and not just accumulating more stuff for this temporary world, but rather we spend a few moments collecting neshamot, collecting mitzvot, by sharing some Torah with people, sharing some emet with people, without doing so much accounting and calculations, just pressing the share button, contributing, spending resources of this world in order to acquire the next world. Thank you again for learning with me. Bless each and every single one of us to succeed in this very, very difficult mission. But I know that if we all tried, at least as 10% as hard, to acquire the next world as we do this world, many more people will come along with us for eternity. Amen v'amen. אני מברך את הרבנים, הרב ירון ראובן, הרב אפרים כחלון, ראשי ארגון בעזרת השם, שערכו בפעליון, שעלו מעלה מעלה, יהיה להם ברכה והצלחה, הקדוש ברוך הוא ימלא בלשונות ליבם, לטובה ולברכה, שבכל אשר יפנו, ישכילו ויצליחו, ישכילו לעשות כאלה וכאלה, ודיון תורה לאדירה, אמן ואמן. הוא היהודי הזה, הוא היה מיליונר, סגר את כל הביזנס, אמר אני משקיע פה בעולמה של תורה, בפלורידה. פלורידה, איפה זה פלורידה? באמריקה. באמריקה. כן, ליד. אנחנו שם עכשיו הולכים להקים קהילה ספרדית גדולה. קהילה ספרדית גדולה.